Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. A little belated for our Detroit Tigers content, but when you have such prestigious guests and esteemed guests that are in such high demand. It's so hard to get one of them here, let alone two at the same time. You take what you can get when you can get it. I'm thrilled. Better late than never with this pair. Evan Petzl, Detroit Free Press beat writer for the Tigers. Welcome. Chris Castellani, Barstool Sports. Great to have you both here. Honestly, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's it's an honor, man. It's funny because Evan and I've been going back and forth on social media for several several years now, at least since you got the the Tiger job and first time we met in person. So small world meeting in the minds. Yeah, I'm amped, dude. Yeah, couple pieces of the Tigers media core here uh, before us, and you guys both central products as well. It's would you, great you, you would you consider me core media for the? I, Some people, you're the number one uh, resource. I'd no say more. Offense. I'm social media for the Tigers. Offense say. taken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, I don't. Uh, know. I mean, Chris is considered. Uh, I mean, I know where I go right after a game. First, I, I get to every, you know both you and Tony if he comments, but I'm going right to the post game Chris Castellani show. Fair, well, thank yeah, you. So I'll be honest too. I also jump over <laughs> and I check out the post game and see what he has to say yeah. every once in a while. So thank you. You have to. So I'm known, perhaps fairly, the cynical curmudgeon, just generally, but with the Tigers, I know where Chris stands. Chris and I have talked about it publicly on Twitter on the remote version of the show. I want to start with Evan and then kind of work into Chris. Where are we at going into 2024? We know 2023 was maybe a couple games better than expected. Nothing special. The ninth straight losing season. Our ninth straight season without the playoffs. We seven straight losing seasons here. Evan, where are you at? Are you looking at this as this thing's going in the right direction? They feel pretty good about 2024. Should the fans feel good about it? I think so. I think the fans feel pretty positive going into 2024. I think the real question actually is, can this team make the playoffs in 2024? Because you look at the division. It's weak. I like what the Twins are doing. I think they have a good infrastructure. The question is, can a lot of those guys stay healthy? That's always the biggest question with them. But they have talent, and they're going to be competitive. But the division as a whole, it's not strong. The, you know, the Tigers are in a spot now where they can really make that next step. They can make that jump, and that's what fans should expect. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. Chris doesn't know if it's going to happen. You have no idea if it's going to happen. But that needs to be the expectation from the fan base. It's been way too long. Now, do we feel, and I mean, Chris, I could bring you in on this. Mm-hmm. Do we feel like, hey, the division just sucks. We got enough pieces coming up. We're going to kind of stumble in through fate of uh, sheer luck of the division being bad. I like, Or do you feel there's a sustainable like sort of pennant chasing a World Series trajectory here, even though that's not manifesting next year? Like, is this going to be more fool's gold next year or is there something more substantive or real about what they're doing uh, I, I think there's something more substantive and, and i think that it kind of you know we're, we're at a point you know from a fan base perspective similar to where we were two years ago after the 77 win season you know mize uh and scooball you know rookie seasons you knew green and torque were going to come here i think what we saw from that year was and you know they only won 77 games kind of a lot of luck from some veterans who had if not career years, some of their best seasons. Robbie Grossman, Jonathan Scope, Haas out of nowhere, Badu out of nowhere. I think that when you look at the current infrastructure of the Tigers with Torkelson and Green and this young core of hitters, uh, with what they've been able to get out of the pitching staff, a pitching staff that was 
decimated by injuries last year and the fact that the farm system has improved significantly just in the last year. I think there is something here. Yeah, they will benefit from uh, the division they play. That's that's fair. I think the biggest difference, though, between how I feel now and maybe how I felt two, three years ago is as, and I agree with you, Evan, I think the Twins have taken a lot of steps in the right direction. I mean, just by winning a, a playoff series, that's, you know, the, the best season they've had in a long time. Sure. But Two years ago, I wasn't, turned out to be wrong, I was scared of the Chicago White Sox. I was scared of that core, that lineup, that roster. We know what happened. I'm not afraid of the Twins. I think the Twins may end up being a better team than the Tigers, but I think that there is enough here. When you look at the other teams around the league that a year ago at this time were sitting at home with 70-something wins, I, I don't know why the Tigers can't be next year's Diamondbacks or next year's Marlins or or even uh, you know a, a, t- a team like the Brewers that uh, kind of came out of nowhere and won their division you know so or maybe not came out of nowhere but you know was not uh, was not necessarily a darling in the preseason I think that is possible now it's possible with the right moves I don't if they run it back with the same roster they ain't winning 86 games but I think the steps are being taken well that's where part of me says pump the brakes a little bit and, and you don't want to hit the gas too hard you saw what they did coming off of the 2021 season yeah. went out and got Javier Baez went out and got Eduardo Rodriguez guys right it makes you chuckle now but <laughs> back then you know what everyone was just dying for a shortstop they were dying for one of those five i know people had their picks everybody liked carlos correa the tigers made a push for him of course but didn't work out end up with hobby bias but people were satisfied because hey you know what they went out and they spent some money and they got one of those you know top you know four or five shortstops that were out there on the market and there was a lot of positive vibes heading into 2022 we all know that crashed and burned so where we're sitting now, I think you really don't want to press that gas pedal too hard. I, I want to see Colt Keith come up. I want to see Justin Henry Malloy come up. I want to see Jace Young, you know, make his debut and, and, and see what he's all about. So I think there's a little bit of a balance where I don't think Alavila got that right. I think this is Scott Harris's chance to get it right. And it might suck for fans because fans might sit back and say, wow, look at how low payroll is. Miguel Cabrera's on the books anymore. Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, I'm expecting him to opt out. So if he opts out and the Tigers don't go back and re-sign him, you know, there's more money off the books. Scope's money, obviously, off the books, right? So you're in a situation where payroll is so low, free agent class isn't that deep. I don't really like the, the options out there uh, outside of you know the players in the starting pitching market. So they might not do a whole lot this offseason, and I'm going to be okay with that. And I think fans should be okay with that, too, as frustrating as that is, because I know you want to say, oh, you know what, just go get Matt Chapman, see what Matt Chapman's all about. Well, if you get Matt Chapman, maybe yeah. you're blocking Colt Keith, maybe you're blocking Jace Young, and, and that could be part of a long-term core. So there's definitely a balance that needs to be struck here from Scott Harris, and this is his opportunity to try to do it right. And I think, real quick, Justin, to add to that, I think one thing you kind of alluded to there that is the difference between how I feel now versus when Avila was here is I have so much more faith in the player development than I mm-hmm. did several years back. I think, like... I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of growing pains and we're going to have to wait a year and a half for Colt Keith to find it at the major league level or for Justin Henry Malloy to find it at the major league level. Most organizations that know how to develop players, they hit with guys pretty quickly and there might, you know, there might be a learning curve and I'm sure there will be. I'm not expecting Colt Keith to have a 900 OPS, but I think the days of saying, oh, look, those guys are rookies there, you know, what, what are they going to contribute? The days of having rookie seasons like what Torkelson had, I don't think that's the case anymore because I think these guys are in better positions to succeed. So, I mean, we're looking at Ahead to 2024 December, mm-hmm. when Juan Soto will be signing some. Right at that way. point, you back up the dump truck of gold. Yes, but what if Juan Soto is traded in December in a similar to Cabrera no eight sort of prearranged sign and trade situation? That's where I'm mad if they're not active. If Juan Soto is signed and traded somewhere in this December, prearranged extension. That's where I'm saying. Where are we on this? We have the capital, presumably, to get him. Absent of that, I think the Otani injury really changed things. He's obviously still going to get a boatload mm-hmm. this year. 
I think it's harder to justify that. And then you get into the Chapman stuff. But what about like J.D. Martinez? You see, that's my pick. And I don't know. You might know more about this than I did, Evan, and about how he feels about the organization right now. You know, I don't know if there were hard feelings when he was traded. He loves it. He said he loved it here. Yeah. I mean, I to me, I I know like the only downside. It's not even a downside is that you got to permanently play carry in right field. But like. Uh, to me, with J.D. Martinez, to me, is going to be very similar career arc to Nelson Cruz. The guy's going to be like 44 years old and we're going to be like, God damn it, he's still hitting 30 home runs a year. Like a few years ago, I think in the COVID year, people were like, ah, J.D. might be on a downturn. I there was I don't know if he ended up doing it, but he led the league in slugging for a large majority of this season. And yeah, he had a few stints on the injured list, but he can still mash. And he was the only good Dodger hitter in the postseason, even with this offense improving the way it did. They were still in the bottom three in almost every statistical category that mattered if you can just add one or two solid hitters you know you don't need dynamic five tool players there aren't any really available at this uh in this free agent class you're in good shape and that covers what evan's saying where he's saying well you know the salary cap might be low but we don't like any of these free agents jd martinez isn't going to get a seven-year deal he's going to sign probably somewhere for two or three he got two two years 20 from the dodgers now he admitted he took I think a, a discount to go there. So I don't know what he's not getting more than three years. I, I'll bet anybody blindly right now. Like he'll be, it'll be a two or three year deal. Even if it's for big money, that's where I can say you could sign him for two or three years. It's sort of the hitter version of the Verlander, you know, heartfelt, warm reunion thing. Fans will love it. What's that head shaking? I just don't want to crush your hopes and dreams here. I mean, they they don't want to have a DH only player on their roster. I mean, they just got Miguel Cabrera off the books one yeah. and two. They just got him off the DH spot. And to your point about Kerry Carpenter, yeah, he's going to have to play in the outfield all the time. But Justin Henry Malloy, not a great defensive player either. Good point. You know, That's what fair. happens when Colt Keith needs a needs a break off his That's feet fair. and you want to put him in the DH spot? Torkelson can't play first base every single day, right? Like, get the guy off his feet and, and give him a chance to get some ABs in the DH spot. So if you plug that, then you're stuck with a DH-only player, and that doesn't really play into the way that A.J. Hinch wants to maneuver his lineup. So do I think that J.D. Martinez would make the Tigers better immediately? Yes, 100% hands down. But is that what they're going to do? No way. It's just not yeah, yeah, fair. Fair point, Evan. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't shake my fist. I, I, no, he is. He is correct, because yeah. I do think this team, uh, one thing they may struggle with, even if the bats get going, is potentially a lack of athleticism in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of d- defensive capabilities. And I think and as much as I think J.D. would obviously make the team better, there is truth to that between Justin Henry Malloy, maybe Colt Keith, Torkelson, Carey. There's probably like three DHs there that are yeah. going to have two of them are going to be uh, in spots in the field. Yeah. yeah, I can't push back on that. I'm just so tired of always having a good reason not to spend. And that's where I feel like we've been for years. Yeah. Even, even the Baez Eduardo offseason. I mean, was that really that big of an investment? Honestly, they signed the, the fifth most expensive guy at the position they needed. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sorry. They, they went they went discount check. even in their big spend, which they built up for five years as oh, just wait, yeah. just wait, just wait. They still kind of half asked it. So it's 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 true, though. What you at least with that player, it's true. I want to focus on what's already here. Mm-hmm. Let's stay away from the external because we know guys that will be here. I would argue. As far as the internal guys that are already here, members of this organization, the biggest question right now is Riley Green, just is he healthy or not? Is that unreasonable? For uh, I'll start with this one. To me, no. I am kind of concerned. It's not concerned that he'll he's going to have a bad year next year, but you know, you see this in baseball quite a bit. I mean, guys don't get healthier in their late 20s, 30s if they're injured when they're 22, 23. We're talking three serious injuries now. Now, three injuries that are you're capable of recovering from. But um, look, we know he's an electric player. He's a very good bat. 
Uh, but that does that does concern me because, you know, the best ability is availability. I think when you look at a team like the Orioles this year, and I know they got popped in the playoffs, but that young core, those guys didn't get injured. They're all young or early, mid-20-somethings. There's concern there because I think he can be a franchise player, but you're not going to be a franchise player if you can't stay on the field. No. Yeah, I think he's the best player on the Tigers if he's healthy. I agree. Like, I agree. That's 100%. what that comes down yeah. to. But again... Another reason why the DH spot probably needs to be open is to get him at bats in that yeah. in that spot as opposed yeah. to you know leaving him in the outfield where you know he's going to go after every ball. It's just how he plays. He plays hard, and and I think you know, his teammates. I know his teammates. You know, respect him for it. I know his manager respects him for it. You know, as a fan, I think I think all fans should respect him for it. As a reporter, I respect him for it. Like it's great to see a guy you know go all out like that. But it just really sucks, and it is concerning, and that's a reason why you know when you see these young guys getting paid in the game, the question is you know are you really going to risk your money on? you know, locking up Riley Green long term, like right now, like no way. Now, had he stayed healthy and had a breakout year, I mean, sure, maybe you entertain contract extension type talks and, you know, buy him out of his RB years and, you know, keep him for a few extra, right? Like maybe that's part of the, the long term plan. But if you can't stay healthy, you just can't make an investment in him. And I think that, you know, from a performance standpoint, what he does in the field, you kind of got to treat it the same way. Like if he's not able to prove that he's healthy, what can you really count on? I'm terrified of his health status, honestly. Yeah. I don't trust him at all. It's, I mean, it's not his fault, but it didn't concern me until the Tommy John one. Because the one, the, the what was it, the stress reaction he had in his life, that was kind of very fluky to me. I mean, it sucked to see him miss that much time, but man, it's like when I mean, that of, one's more concerning to me just because it's 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 the the day-to-day ground and pound, your legs hitting the ground over and over and over again. It's fair like, point. okay, how much worse is that gonna get? The Tommy John one, though, like that's who he is as a player, right? And mm-hmm. then the foul ball off the foot when he missed the opening day roster, like that's kind yeah. of a fluke injury. But at the same time, like when they just keep adding up, fluke or not, yeah, it's, it, it's concerning. It's I'm tough to predict injuries. I am nervous about it. I think it's the biggest question. I think a safer ground to sort of mine is the Spencer Torkelson one because <laughs> that's not an injury thing as much as sort of how we perceive his development, how we view it as. Where are we at now and what's potentially there? So, Evan, you wrote a really good article. You're not going on blast. I'm just asking questions over here. We have, I don't know, Chris and I think a slightly different perspective. So your article this week, Ben, can you throw that up? And then we'll, we'll get to Renuto in a second. I want to I start with this <laughs> Evan article. So this is two days ago talking about Torkelson and his continued development. Quote, to become a superstar, Torkelson needs to develop into a better all-around hitter. Getting there will be determined by his swing path, game planning, and in-game decisions. Sometimes Torkelson didn't have quality plate appearances because he abandoned the ideal plan in search of more power. And quote from Evan Petzl. Do you think he gets there? You've laid out, I agree with everything you said there. Do you think he gets there? Do you think he develops into this all-around hitter that he needs to be to justify that 1-1 slot? I don't think so. I don't think he gets there. I mean, after watching him now... For as long as I've seen him, I don't think he gets there. I think he can be a very productive player. I think he can go out there and I think he can hit 35 plus home runs for you, you know, year in and year out. But in terms of raising that batting average, becoming that true all around hitter, I don't know if it's there just because of the swing path and his, you know, mechanics in the batter's box, like a very groove swing. It's kind of always been the same thing. He did make some slight tweaks to be able to get out in front and hit the fastball. But at the same time, there's going to be more adjustments, I think. And this is more just my eye test and then also talking to people, right? Like, I I don't know what he's capable of. So sure, like maybe he could. But at the same time, from what I've seen, like I haven't seen enough to really buy into the fact that this guy can truly be, you know, a a multi-time all-star, MVP candidate, superstar, face of the franchise. I don't think so. Can he be a good first baseman? It's a lot of home runs. Yes. Is that okay? I think so. But is he really going to get to that next level? I'm not so sure yet. 
Chris, you thought he arrived. I mean, you texted me something to that effect. He's he's here. He's arrived. Yes. Where, where are you at? Um, now? Okay, I do. I do agree with Evan. We he's not a superstar. He will never be because I would say from an analytical standpoint, there's not enough value that he provides in terms of currently the on base percentage, currently batting average, defensive metrics are very poor. So yeah, I mean, we're not going to get a six war first baseman. Uh, you know, out of Spencer Torkelson, like a Paul Goldschmidt or a Freddie Freeman. I just don't think that consistency is there. The numbers aren't there. I do think he'll improve defensively uh, because I think he's a better athlete than you know how he played. But ultimately, it's about the bat. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess it's kind of how you define star. I think he can be close to a what Pete Alonso has been after his rookie season because they had the juiced ball year. Alonso hit 50 something home runs. Now, that's to, fair. Yeah, to yeah. me. But to me, that's OK. That's OK with the caveat of green stays healthy and all of a sudden you kind of got that one, two punch. I'm fine with that. I know you've made this comparison before. If he has a Paul Canerco type career where Paul Canerco never really had a prime. He never really had a eight year stretch where you went, Jesus God, the guy put up a thousand OPS, but every year it was 830, 840. Okay. One year he had 860 OPS. If that's what you can get in this park, in this division with, and the one thing he did provide a lot of this year, durability. The guy did not get injured at all. If you can continue to play him 150 games a year with that kind of production, I'd be fine with that. But I am with Evan. He's not going to hit 300. Part of it, too, is like it's not only just the swing path. It's also the in-game decisions that he's making, right? I mean, he's he's so diligent in his process. And then, you know, you take it out there on the field and you get in the batter's box. And sometimes, again, like I had mentioned, you know, he kind of would ditch that plan, trying to hit for power, trying to get the pull side home run. And I think if he can stay a little bit more disciplined in his game plan, I do think the batting average goes up. I just don't see it going up much higher than like 240, maybe. Yeah, I'd agree with and, that. And that's kind of where I'm at with that. Uh, do, do you think, do you notice those more when there's runners in scoring position? Because that was something I went nuts. I mean, he didn't have a hit with the bases loaded until like the last week of the no, season. Definitely, yeah, he, definitely. He talked about it too. At the end of the season, I went and talked to him about it. And like, that was part of the conversation. And part of the story there at the end was just talking about, you know, in his mind, how can he get better? And talked about a few different things, but that was the big one is like, Hey, look, you know, we were eliminated with eight games left. That's what he had talked about. And he said, you know, maybe I wasn't responsible for losing all eight of those games, but there were situations where, you know, we had runners on second and third with less than two outs and, you know, what I didn't get the job done. And we ended up losing the game by a run. So he's very aware of that. Like he's mm-hmm. very aware of not getting the job done with runners in scoring position or with the bases loaded. The question is going to be, can he snap that? Can he get out of that? Can, can he put up a productive at bat as opposed to trying to hit a three run home run, right? Mm-hmm. And he talked about it, too. He said, I mean, one of the things that he said, and I think this kind of goes into the game planning is like, you know, why am I trying to hit a 500 foot home run when if I try to hit a ball 200 feet, it'll go, you know, 400. Right. And that's just part of the way that he swings his power that he has naturally. Right. Like instead of trying to unload and unleash for this, you know, mammoth type home run, let's just stay with my approach. Let's stay, you know, say, say that they want him to go to the right side of the field, just hit the ball the right side of the field. Maybe he's facing big velocity stays the right side of the field and he ends up popping the ball and hits a pull side home run. But all he's really looking to do is hit a ball to the, you know, really the right center gap. And, and so I think it's some of those like things that are, it's the details of the game, right? Like that's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. And I think if he can stay disciplined to those, I think we're going to see the batting average shoot up. But again, I just don't ever see him hitting like 280, 290, 300. Like I just, I just don't think so. Yeah, I'm with you. But even so, and even with all those issues, 31 home runs, 93 RBIs. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, you're taking I'm it. not oh, I'm that. not saying RBI is the okay. best statistic to measure a player's effectiveness, but he was bad for two months. Are we taking it, though, Evan? Yes. I think that's a good... I yes. think if you would have told me before the like season... Big picture. I'm not talking about this past year. Am I taking it as a developmental step? Yes. He had eight homers as a rookie. Yeah. 
Okay, just because he started in the toilet. I mean, that's like me trying to say Rich Rod was great because he started three and nine and went five and seven and then, you know, seven and six. I mean, if you start so bad, it was one of the worst seasons I've ever seen. Ben, I'm going to show them why 30 home runs, 90 RBI huh? is not so great. Here comes the comp that Chris knows that I love. Renato Nunez for the Orioles. Look at that side-by-side. Side. And for the audio listeners, here we go. Torkelson this past year, 233 batting average, 31 homers, 94 RBI, 758 OPS. That's a disrespectful comp. In what way is that unfair? Look at those numbers and tell me how that's unfair. But, uh, I mean, I'll, 244, I'll 31, <laughs> 97, 71. Crushing. Because you're taking one year from some random guy and comparing it to Torkelson in his second full season. Well, I mean, I okay, if those are the numbers Torkelson puts up the rest of his career, I'll be disappointed. Yes, if he has a 758 okay. OPS, but I'm, I don't think any, me or Evan or anyone in the fan base is saying that Torkelson last year was what Pete Alonzo was in 2019. It was a huge developmental step. I would, yeah, unfortunately, just, you can't throw the rookie year in the trash, but I mean, I feel pretty good about where Torkelson he's at. Torkelson is not Renato Nunez. Let's just make that very clear. Like, just, oh yeah, Nunez has been better uh, across and, and, the board. And you know no, what? No, he hasn't been better, but. Well, he has. He had an 816 OPS. Renato Nunez is bagging groceries right now. Do no, we? No, he got, he, well, he got released in the Mexican League. We released which, him, which is well, right. He got <laughs> he got DFA, but that's the point. Look at what he did in 2019. The next season, he comes up. It was the Fugazi year, but he was even better. 816 OPS in 2020. He got DFA'd for those numbers. So my point is, this wasn't like, oh, and then three years of struggles later, he was released. He did that, which was a little bit better than what Torkelson did last year, had a better year in the COVID-abbreviated year, and then was gone in the Mexican League. Well, no, then he joined the Tigers. He, he, was, he was with us for a minute. Yeah. In like 12 at-bats, what are we talking about here? He wasn't good, so we he, cut him. He, like, he had like 25 at-bats. Wasn't, he wasn't even here a month. I know, but just don't act, don't act like he put up those numbers and then was suddenly cut after he putting was. up those numbers. No, no, no he, he, he had a sample size here. No, he didn't okay, play. Okay, let me look at they, <laughs> we, First of all, we cut him two separate times. Right, because he wasn't any good. In how many at-bats? Is Torkelson had worse What, do you months? want him to bring him back? What, I don't, I don't, what's your my, argument here? <laughs> no, my argument is we saw, okay, first of all, take the Mexican League stuff out of it. Okay. A guy with those numbers, by the way, how old was Nunez when he put up that 2019 season? How old do you think he 28? was? 28. 25. Okay. Hmm. One year older than Torkel. Right. He wasn't 29 or 32. He was one year old. He was tw that was his age. And he turned 25 at the beginning. He turned 25 in April. I looked it up. He turned 25 in April of that year. So he was like a fresh 25. He did that. What was his OPS plus that year? I don't know. I, don't I, I, I juiced ball Camden Yards before okay, they built be, the left field fence. Just saying. Okay. I, because of 53 at bats in Detroit, where his OPS was 690. Okay. Of course, yeah, bad, but it wasn't like it was like 480. Do you know what Javi Baez would do for a 690 <laughs> OPS? I mean, 53 at bats, 14 games played. Oh, he sucked in Detroit like 14 games. Okay, well, two weeks I, again, if he makes I, it a double again, head. we're not bringing him back. I don't. I, no, I don't so, my, so, so if Torkelson has a bad two weeks, cut him. No, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm. I'm Isn't it though? I'm contextualizing. Isn't it though? No, no, I'm telling you what I'm saying. I'm contextualizing a first baseman putting up the numbers Torkelson did last year. A guy one year older who was as cheap as they come had a little bit better production. Came back the next year had even better production than that. I mean, OPS 60 points higher than Torque last year in that 2020. That didn't even get him a contract. He was a minor league invitation. Mm -hmm. 
So first baseman in this league that are shit defensively like Torkelson was and Renato is. Yes. We saw a better version of Torkelson. That didn't even get him a contract offer in the open market. 26 years old. So his year last year was not that great is what I'm getting at. Because we saw a guy one year older do the same shit and then do even better. So you would not you would not argue Spencer Torkelson's 2023 was a breakout breakthrough type season. No, it was relative to his abysmal rookie campaign. I'm what I'm arguing is if that's the end point or anywhere close to it, this is a colossal But it's bust. not but it's not going to be. It's like that's that you're creating a narrative that doesn't exist yet. Like No, I'm responding to his comment that that you know, <laughs> hey, we'll take that's enough. No, it's for this enough. year, for this year, well, yeah. That's, that's why I clarified. Right. But we said going forward, my point is he has a long way to go because this is not this is more about responding to the people out there more than it is even you guys right. that were dunking on you and I all year. <laughs> yeah. What do you got to say about Torque now? I I stand by what I said. I, no, I mean, look, he needs to get better. Yeah, there's no, I don't I, no, we're not now, saying I don't that know about yeah. significantly. I think there's a couple things he needs to do that will allow him to be significantly better, but okay. I don't think he needs to significantly get I think the foundation is there. For him to improve, I think he will improve. A lot of it comes okay. down to the batting average and the on-base percentage. Mm-hmm. The ability to hit home runs is there. He knows how to get to the pull side. He's getting to fastballs like he, you know, was unable to get to fastballs as a rookie. So like, yeah. he's able to take those steps. I think overall body of work, again, foundation much better than Renato Nunez. I don't think you can make a comparison when you compare the foundations of those two players yeah. and what they are capable and the, of. and the ceiling and yeah, right. That's exactly yeah, exactly. Oh, Seven eighty one for Renato in twenty eighteen. Now that I'm looking at it, that's three years in yeah. a row better than for for a hundred and fifteen lost team. Sure. What is that? I'm not saying he was the only guy who saw any pitches. <laughs> Justin, Mike, Mike Trout sucks too. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Otani, he's a garbage baseball player because the Angels suck. So how do you feel then? I mean, are you confident in Torkelson going into next yeah, year? Yeah, in the sense of like. Do, are you are you optimistic? Are you um, where are you at? Because it seems like you're over kind under, of on the negative trend. Over under one and a half all star appearances in Spencer Torkelson's career. Over because we we have that charity case uh, all star rule. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actual ones. Under. Really, you you just aren't high on him, are you? It's, it's hard. It's hard as a first baseman. Okay. Who are the great first basemen in the American League right now? Okay, Yandy Diaz. You think he's going to repeat this? I, probably not. I, right. I, I have shocked he did it this year. Yeah. Where did that come from? Vladdy Jr. is trending well, downward. I'm just saying, if he, this is a guy that was called. I mean, but anyone can pull this up. Correct. Pull yeah. up Spencer Torkelson drafted. Watch what they said. Best prospect hitting, pure hitting prospects in Smart to Share. Yeah. Almost 20 years earlier. If he's a 810, 820 OPS, which is still a big jump from last year, that is a first baseman. I mean, I, I, Carlos Santana was doing that on the cheap like three years ago off the scrap heap. I, it's just to me, he's got to be in 840, 850. You said it. Pete Alonzo post-rookie year. I'll yep. take that. Anything less than that. So I don't I don't think he gets there. But I still think like, you know, big picture, long-term standpoint, obviously you have Torkelson right now on the cheap. Even when it gets into his arb years, he's still not going to be very expensive if he's putting up these numbers, right? Like, like. I still feel like the production is still good enough to be in your lineup, even Easily. if it stays like this oh, yeah, for yeah. how much you're paying him. Like, who cares? And then you know what? If you don't like him by the time he becomes a free agent, then you just don't bring him back and you never try to offer him that that extension because you don't think he's going to get any better. Like, fine. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that's OK. Um, but at the same time, like just to write him off as as whatever for the next, you know, what, four years, like I think is kind of bullshit. I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying I have concerns that I, I think that the celebration of his arrival is premature. 
obviously you're not, I'm not saying cut them or get rid of them. That it makes no sense. It's, it, you're selling really low on a guy. That yeah. And I'm basing this off the trajectory. I, I like, I, if he has, if he, if his April next year is the same April he's had the last two years, I'm going to be monumentally disappointed. I think he's going to have a big year next year. I really do. Speaking of April, opening day roster next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ben, can you throw up the Castellani tweet about this asshole? <laughs> this, this thief. This, this con man with a mitt. <laughs> this is Chris in August. If Javier Baez is next year's opening day shortstop, then the Tigers have no interest in competing. Throw up this asshole stat line, please, Ben, if you would. 222 batting average, nine home runs, 59 RBI, 592 OPS. It's not OPS plus. I don't know why that, the plus is on there. Oh, the asterisk. Okay. Yeah. Second lowest among all MLB qualifiers. So, and the wor- only one worse was Tim Anderson, which was like just shocking in Chicago. Similar players, I feel like. Similar I career to, arcs. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, Chris. Oh, no, he's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. what I tweet, Justin, you and I both have this rule. What's tweeted during games is. is <laughs> well, no, 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 but no. I mean, yes, but that's true. He should not be here. This, yeah. You, Valenti, and I agree with this. To me, it is an insult to keep playing him every day. You got to get rid of him. I'll I'll answer here. I look. I I do agree with you. Like as a fan, obviously, um, the current farm system is severely lacking in shortstops, from what I know of Evan. Yep. And I mean, like Zach Short in a pinch, you know, whatever. But I mean, I don't know. Should I, I would argue Zach Short at points last year was probably better than Hobby. Look, no, I. I don't I don't like him as a player. I don't I don't like his makeup. I don't like the way he chases out of the zone. I do think he's legitimately one of those guys who has an ability to make other guys less impactful by seeing as few pitches as he does. He'll be the opening day shortstop. Though. I do think here's here's what I will say, though. And, again, you know, Evan can can jump in on this uh, if he if he doesn't agree. If they're good and competitive next year. And in June, he's still putting up this 500 something OPS bullshit, which I I. I don't think he's going to change. I know, like, I just, I just don't. I, I could see some move, whether it's de- getting a shortstop off the scrap heap or making a trade, because I think he fits in fine on a bad team. But I think if they're competitive next year, I think they would consider cutting ties because he's not a Scott Harris guy. He was an Avila guy. Evan, but, is there any chance he opts out? It's zero. No, zero. Right? Yeah, because I would have said no, that no about. Chance. I would have said that about Eduardo vetoing a trade to the Dodgers. That like he hasn't wrong. come out and publicly said like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to opt in," but like he's definitely going to opt in. So, yeah. and that's from people I talk. Unless he just yeah, hates sense. it here, which like no, he's getting paid. So no. The only reason I agree it would make no sense, but we have seen Juan Gonzalez turn down the richest contract in baseball history at the time to reject the Tigers. We saw yeah. Erod reject a trade to the Dodgers. Like weird shit happens sometimes. It's yeah, but he reason. might not even get a one year deal if he turns that down. Yeah, he'd get a minor like, league yeah, deal. Like a minor league I, deal. I, exactly. I agree. So I agree. When you're looking at making, I mean, you know, north of twenty million, like you're taking that you know, every day of the week, hands down, no question about it. So, yes, he's coming back. He's going to be the opening day shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. I think the big game plan for him is, like, just be a good defensive shortstop. Like, really, like, I really think that's where they're at with it. Like, you know, you're going to be getting paid all this money, and, you know, they, they want to try to work on fixing the offense. They've been trying to do it. I, I It's it's just not going to work. I, I don't see any... I don't see any reality where Javier Baez really gets back to being the player that he used to be. I also don't know that, like trying to get him to control the strike zone is a really smart thing for him. I think maybe you just tell him like, yes, go swing hard. Like, you know, do what you used to do with the Cubs and like, we'll take whatever it is. Like, I, I, I don't know. I almost wonder if like putting this pressure on him to control the strike zone for the first time in his entire life <laughs> might probably not help him. Like, I, I don't think that is a viable strategy 
to getting this guy back to doing what he's doing. Like maybe the the message is, hey, go hit, you know, a buck 80 and try to give us like 20 home runs. Like <laughs> maybe they can try to lean into that. But regardless of the offense, the, the main goal is like get this guy to be an above average defense, you know, defensive player, right? Like he makes these spectacular plays that obviously boosts his defensive run save. They yeah. boost his outs above average. It makes him look good, you know, from the metrics. But at the same time, he'll also just disappear for weeks bounce bounce a like, bounce a million throws right 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 it's like it's like wh- where is this coming from after we see these spectacular plays so i do think that where the tigers are at now is okay just go out there and be the best version you can be defensively and we're just going to live with everything else and we're going to pay you and and you're and i think you're right though like if they do get to a point where they are competitive and i don't think it's this year i think it would have to be it would probably have to be 2025 maybe going into 2026 is where they would maybe eat some money there if they if they were really good i mean like really good like they'd have to really have the pieces and i don't think that they're close enough yet and i don't think they'll be close enough at any point in the 2024 season to kind of make that move maybe in 2025 definitely a reality in 2026 i think just based on their overall trajectory but right now yeah like he's he's here to stay we knew his flaws coming in. That's why Chris and I we talked about show. it. Yeah, we advocated against this before it happened, and when it did happen, and the biggest dagger has been age. But well, I'm gonna. That's, I'm, that's well, it. Are you surprised at how bad it has gone? Because this has been so much worse than even Chris and I thought. I think so. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm surprised by it. You know, coming in, I thought, okay, like this is a guy who's going to hit you 30 home runs every year, and you're going to really feel good about putting him in in your lineup, like maybe he's not really the true guy that can like carry a team. He never really did that in Chicago. But at the same time, if you get enough good pieces around him, think about, you know, Torkelson, Green, like those were kind of the two emerging players, you know, back in, in 2022. And it was like, okay, like I'm excited to see what these guys were able to do together. You put these three, you know, maybe the Tigers have something here. And he's been a complete bust in that sense. And I do think it comes down to age. His body's not able to do the same things that you know, they used to be able to do like he's just not the same player. And that's the hardest thing to predict, I think, with a player is like, OK, how is age really going to impact your performance? How is it going to impact your bat speed? Like those are things that can be difficult to project. And that's something that maybe it was the Alavila regime. Um, you know, maybe it was just a, a, a misstep in general. Again, maybe maybe a ton of people were fooled. Like I, I have no idea exactly what went on in that sense. I just know that Alavila was on board with it. A.J. Hinch was on board with it. The Tigers wanted to bring him in. They thought they were getting an impact player and he hasn't provided. And I do think that a lot of it is due to just age and, uh-huh. and that, that's how it is. That's a quick drop off, though, because he he crushed the ball in New York post trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? A few months later, he got that old that fast. He was the fifth worst hitter among qualifiers. Well, I think it all, I think it, I think it all builds. I mean, I think it all builds like I think it was a bad start with the Tigers. It yeah. builds, it builds, it builds. OK, now your body's starting to break down a little bit more and you're not feeling as good and mm-hmm. it. And it and when things like but, that build, like you get in a hole pretty quick, and yeah. never he's been a bottom five guy each of the last. Two I know years, he bad. he was shockingly awful last season. I mean, like for I mean, not saying he was great. At least in year one, hit seventeen home runs. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, honestly, like I'll take seventeen. I don't. He's not going to get to that again. <laughs> no. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's what scares me though is the the whole like why don't you know I, I I agree with you. I don't think he like it is a good idea to like try to get him to control the strike zone. The biggest difference is he doesn't have the ability anymore to do what he did with the Cubs, you know, in terms of just age and body wearing down on him where, you know, he, when he was with Chicago, he had crazy power. He just doesn't have it anymore. So yeah, it's, he doesn't, the exit velocities aren't the same. Like the, the, the bass speed is not the same. And to try to counter that by saying, Hey, again, I'll say it for the first time in your life. Let's try to control the strike zone a little bit more. Let's try to pick (laughs) better pitches to swing at. Come on now. Well, my, my perception, kind of what I'm getting to Evan is, 
I, I can buy all the body breaking down stuff to a certain degree. That's that's fine and it's fair. It's a piece of it. I my perception is there's some attitude issue here. I got paid. I don't give a fuck. Chris has not to speak for you, but has said things like that in it's videos. A, it's a right? little bit different. The way I st- view it, and Evan just brought it up a minute ago. I think that he is a front runner as a player, meaning that he is not a number one option. When he was with the Cubs, and even in his like not close to MVP years, like 2016 when they won it all, he had that great postseason. But that was Bryant's team and Rizzo's team and Zobra's team. And then you get to this kind of scrappy guy like in the seventh spot in that lineup, who's just like, mm-hmm. God, I, I'm throwing pitches out of the zone. He's chasing him. He's getting, but he's getting the bat on the ball. That's the kind of dangerous player he can be. Tigers bring him in. You're our franchise guy, middle of the order bat. I just don't think he has the capability of handling that. And I, I do think, uh, and I've, I've talked to a few people about it, who just kind of, you know, had theories. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I, he, he got his money. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't think he comes to work every day being like, okay, I'm not going to try. But I do think psychologically there's something there, you know, just that, that impacts, you know, his ability to bring it the way that he did in Chicago. Cause he was, I look, I watch. He was great with the Cubs. He was a very fun player to watch. I was a season ticket holder for the Cubs living in Chicago when he was there. Yeah. I mean, he was he was exciting. And I thought we'd get and you you brought it up. I thought we'd get like two good years, like yeah. just solid four war flashy. You, you defense. and I were like lockstep on that. Too. Yeah, like yeah. I even even though I wasn't like Correa was my guy. Even even with Correa's struggles, I, I'm still a big Correa guy. But uh. Yeah, I I didn't think it would fall off this quickly. Is there an attitude component, Evan, or is this pure body breakdown? Like, I don't think so. I mean, I see him behind the scenes, right? Like, I'm in the clubhouse yeah, every you would day, know. and I see. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, I talk to him, know. have conversations with him. The one thing I want to say about Javier Baez, and this is more of a shout out to him, actually, is anytime I've ever asked to talk to him for a story that I'm writing or something that I'm working on, or even just wanted to go up and talk to him about, hey, how you doing? Like, what's up lately? What kind of Starbucks you order in these days? Like, things like that. Like, has never said no. He has never said like, oh, screw off. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Never, ever, ever. After the last last game of the season, I'm in there in the clubhouse and I want to talk to Javier Baez and I go up to him pregame. We got like maybe five more minutes of clubhouse access and I walk up to him and he goes, man, like I don't I really don't want to talk pregame like I I just really don't want to. This is all Miguel Cabrera's day, but I really wanted to get this interview because I knew I needed to write something about Javier Baez, you know, postseason, right? Like October is a long month when, you know, team's not in the playoffs. So you got to kind of fill space. Right. But but still, I wanted to kind of write a recap of the season, what he thought about it how he wants to get better. I explained that to him. He said, you know, come find me after the game. I said, like, you, you promise you'll, you'll wait around. Like it's Miguel's day. We're all going to be talking to him. He goes, no, I'll be here. And I was like, all right. So, you know, the game happens. It's, it's Miguel's final game. He makes the amazing play, which was, which was awesome, by the way. Um, go back into the clubhouse, interview Miguel. And Javi's nowhere to be seen. And I'm standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. And there he comes. And he's like, all right, like, let me shower really quick. Goes to the shower, comes back out. His kids are there. He tells his kids, hey, give me a second. Like, I told him I would talk to him. And I was like, oh, like, you really did stick around. Like, I I appreciate that. And he was like, always, always. And so I I think that's just a little bit of a glimpse into who Javier Baez is. Like, he owns who he is. He owns what he is at this point. I do think that there is an element that maybe fans might not understand watching from afar of, like, imagine sucking at your job for two years in a row, like, like, two years straight. Like not being good at your job, not doing what you're expected to do, you know, not meeting expectations from your bosses, not meeting expectations from your coworkers, not meeting expectations from, you know, a fan base that watches you over and over and over again, not meeting expectations from social media where, you know, things get millions of likes and and not to say that's not like justified because again, you're getting paid all that money to do it. Like you better show up and do it. But at the same time, I do think that like there is a little bit of a misconception with him in the sense of attitude problem versus 
honestly, probably like disappointment in in his performance. Like he's not happy with how he's playing. And like, you know, if, if I, you know, if I was really struggling at my job for two years in a row, if you came and you wanted to talk to me about my job or you came and watched me work, I think you'd see it on my face that I was disappointed in myself. So I do think there is a little bit of a balance there that I think people probably need to understand. Um, again, I, I don't know. People might hate on me for that. But at the same time, like, I don't think that Javier Baez has like this attitude problem. See, I find that fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to take it easy on him now. I mean, again, again, like I said, it's yeah. justified. I never though, said he right? was a bad guy either. But no, uh, yeah. no. But again, like it's justified when you're not performing well. Right. Like yeah. you're not performing well. You're not meeting expectations like you guys are both entitled to your own opinions about his performance, his play. Maybe the way that he handles himself on the field, like again, you know the 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 you know the mistake in Toronto, right, where he got benched, right? Like what, like what is that? Like what are you doing? Like where you're really locked in, where you're really focused? Like you guys are allowed to question. Yeah, that, that's where the theory sure. comes from. I feel like no, Just you the, guys are allowed to question it generally. Of, of when, many. Yeah. No, right, exactly. Yeah. Exhibit A of many, where you know I I'm not surprised that fans sit back and they look and say, man, what could be going on with that dude? So I guess I kind of wanted to shed a little bit of a different light, but at the yeah. same time, like I understand where fans are coming from when they have these questions. It it makes sense. I'm glad you did. Honestly, that gives me a whole different perspective. It doesn't answer the questions entirely, but my honest perception was this guy doesn't even want a beer. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care about anything but his money and just get me out of here. But he wouldn't do the stuff that he did with you and honor his word and hang around if he did. Yeah, no, I mean, it meant a lot. And he's done that every step of the way. Again, sometimes now, look, sometimes he makes us wait forever, right? I mean, we wanted to talk to him after the mistake in Toronto and we stood there in the clubhouse for what felt like an hour. Well, he was you know, in the shower, in the cafeteria, doing whatever, maybe trying to wait us out. I have no idea. But still, like, he comes out, he never says no. And I, I think that means something. He, he owns he owns what he does day in and day out. And I just think that's important to recognize. Yeah, very fair. We're rolling with them either way, whether you like it or not, apparently. Yeah. I was hopeful for Evan saying, I want, yeah, I think they're done with them. They're getting rid of them. I just want one big moment. What, what if he has like one bad 500 yeah, OPS? One and then they, we lost in the bottom of the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but like I'm, I'm like in an actual, I'm thinking 500 OPS, but he has that one. He's like Don Kelly syndrome where it's like he just put up that 600 OPS, but you give us two big moments in the playoffs and we're good. What a low standard for our key <laughs> freeze I mean, we waited for years. But you know what? I mean, is he not that guy, though? Like I could that, see that I mean, happening. Is he yeah. not that guy who could randomly just pop? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it at times where he's randomly, you know, improved significantly for two weeks and then it all goes to disaster the, again. But in the smallest of sample sizes, he would be capable of doing it. What that. if yes. he just the ultimate redemption story? That would be the ultimate like Detroit. Like, Javi Baez like they get into the postseason. He just carries. Like, yeah. He puts him on his back. <laughs> like Delman Young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just out of nowhere. All right. Moving on. I want to put a, a button on something that was. It just alarming at the time, and it ropes into what the Tigers ended up doing this offseason, filling their front office. The Eduardo Rodriguez fiasco, flub, uh, whatever you want to call it, I'm still fascinated by what happened there. Ken Rosenthal just crushed the Tigers with this whole situation with Erod and the veto trade, and he's stuck here, whatever. Ben, can you throw up the Rosenthal graphic? So this is in The Athletic right after this thing went down. It's difficult to portion out blame for this fiasco. For the Tigers, the failure to trade Eduardo Rodriguez represented a catastrophic outcome. If Rodriguez opts out, the Tigers will lose him for nothing, not even draft pick compensation. Rival executives said Scott Harris's asking prices were too high. Once the Dodgers' trade for Rodriguez began to disintegrate, Harris should have looked for the best deal possible. The outcome could not have been worse. So... Pretty much the most seething, uh, steep, cruel indictment 
of the Tigers handling of this. The optics, certainly from the public fan perspective, were like, what the hell is going on? Evan, what happened there? Did they not have some assurances that they would waive the no trade clause to the Dodgers? Like what what happened in this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think blame probably gets placed on Scott Harris, Eduardo Rodriguez, maybe Eduardo Rodriguez's agent more than anybody, um, to be completely honest. But I, I do think that the Tigers made a misstep in this situation. Um, maybe not even a misstep. Maybe it was just colossal disaster is maybe a better way to put it because there was no plan B. I mean, there were teams out there that would have traded for Eduardo Rodriguez with the opt out. But the asking price, again, was way too high. I mean, the asking prices were off the charts. And, you know, teams look at him and they say, OK, well, he has an opt out and he's going to pitch for us this season. Sure. But then he's going to opt out. So I'm not going to give you prospects worth his entire contract if he's just going to opt out at the end of the year. Like that's, you know, that, that that's a dumb trade, right? Of course, it's a dumb trade. The point is, is that the Tigers had runway with the Dodgers to get him to waive the no trade clause. It seemed like there was momentum going in that direction. And then obviously Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, invokes the no trade clause. He had no trade clauses for pretty much every team out on the West Coast. That was a big thing for him was no West Coast. Um, so, I mean, again, you talk about teams that are on the East Coast or, or closer over on the sites. You know, Cincinnati could have used a pitcher. Baltimore definitely could have used a yeah. pitcher. But the asking price was just way too high. The Tigers should have had one of those two teams probably the Orioles, you know, specifically or, or or the Reds, right? Because those are two teams that were kind of in that hunt at that point. And the Orioles obviously being in the mix, but just needing some starting pitching help. They should have had those two teams like on standby, ready to like close a deal if this trade fell through. That never happened. And that's that that was the biggest issue that I had with it. And I think the biggest issue that, you know, people like Ken Rosenthal had with it was that it's not just that the trade fell through. It's that there was no plan B. There was no backup plan. And I and I understand that the Tigers don't want to trade their pitchers for I guess, you know, I, I mean, maybe scraps is a good way to put it, right? Like, you don't want to just take whoever's prospect right. for it. But at the same time, you know, five days after the World Series, um, I feel pretty confident in saying Eduardo Rodriguez is going to opt out of his contract and won't be coming back to the Detroit Tigers. So, like, you got nothing out of him. And then, and then for Scott Harris to turn around and say, oh, you know, we get to see him pitch every five days. Well, for what? Like, yeah. For what? Like, who cares? So yeah. you think he's so, gone? Oh, I think he's gone. I, yeah. I'm with Evan on that too. Yeah, I don't. I don't see him. I don't see the Tigers renegotiating. I know they're not going to renegotiate anything until Eduardo Rodriguez makes his, you know, decision to opt out or opt in official. He's going to make more money on the open market. It would be a foolish decision to opt in from a financial standpoint. Maybe he really loves the Tigers. But at the same time, we know money drives all this, right? Like let's let's not play games with ourselves. Okay, money drives these decisions. So, and money drove the Dodgers' decisions from, from things that I've heard. So, but point is, is I don't think he's opting in. I think he's going to opt out. And I don't see the Tigers, everything that has happened in the last two years, wanting to renegotiate a contract, add more length to his deal. I think there's enough pitching depth. And again, it's going to frustrate fans because they're going to say, hey, payroll's so low. Like, let's lock him up for lock him up for four more years, lock him up for, for five years, like pay the man. But at the same time, like, you know, you can never really guess with Eduardo Rodriguez, it feels like sometimes. And you, you never really know, like, what direction he's headed in or what he might do next. And Again, is it really worth it? Like, I don't think so. With the pitching that they have, I mean, you have Ty Madden, you have Dylan Smith, you have Kyder Montero, you know, you have Jackson Job. Like, he's coming. Like that—that yeah. that is real. He's coming. Um, you have Casey Mize, you have Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning. Maybe I think they might trade him. I, he's, a, he's a trade candidate for me. But like, hmm. point being, it, yeah. Well, All maybe, right. Maybe we All can right. get into that. But, All right. But point is, is, I just don't think you need him for what you're going to pay him. Like, what's yeah. and again, like, go look at the performance coming off the IL. Like, he had like a you know, plus four ERA. That's not an ace caliber pitcher. That's not even a number two. That's like a number four. So well, that's what he was to begin with. But that's, Mars. but that's, right. the, but that's the point. Like, is it really worth it? 
you know, and I, and I say no. So if he opts out, do I see the Tigers renegotiating anything with him? No, I don't think so. They didn't know what continent he was on last year. So yeah. that's, that, yeah. that's my point, though, is they yeah. should have got something for him then. Right. I agree. Well, that's the most annoying thing. That's the most annoying part is the best version of Eduardo Rodriguez was what they got out of him the first two months of this yes. season. Yeah. And uh, no, I'm with you. That's lost in all of this is the fact that I don't think he's th- like he's not this good to warrant this much attention that is always brought on him. Now, I understand why it's brought on him. It's been a bizarre story. But like, yeah, I think he's a good pitcher, he's a solid pitcher. Um, You know, I don't think he should get the ball opening day next year, even if he does opt in. Like, I like Scooby more than I like him. But it's like he's yeah. he's 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 solid. But uh, yeah, honestly, if he, if he opts out, yeah, honestly, I'm at a point like, dude, let him walk. I, I not worth the headache. I I, I agree with every everything that I've been said there. Um, I, I kind of put a 50 50 split on. I mean, I do understand from Scott Harris's standpoint him like he probably was certain there's no way this guy's just going to stay here. Like he why, why wouldn't he from a competitive standpoint want to pitch two months in L.A.? Probably going to start game one after Kershaw gets rocked, but maybe or game two after Kershaw gets rocked, you know, in, in the playoffs. Like I think he didn't take that into account and should have. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was an organizational failure. Now, I have a question. For you, Evan, do you know, and you don't have to tell me, do you know what the trade package was in LA? Uh, no, I don't. You know, okay, yeah, I, I've, I, I, I don't know I've either. Heard, I've heard names thrown around, but nothing that like is concrete enough for me to say. Same, and in fact, I've heard other Tigers being included in that package potentially as well. But I could, and again, it's so much of his hearsay, nothing officially reported. But yeah, we might never know. I kind of don't want to know because honestly, if we, there were a couple yeah. guys that would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I, especially in that system. So yeah, again, I mean, all that was contingent on him, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to opt into my deal with the Dodgers. I'm going to get paid a little bit more money, okay. and that trade's going to go through. And he decided not to do it. So I understand the argument both of you are making of all oh, this is too much attention even paid to Eduardo Rodriguez. But my argument could easily be it's not just Erod. It's about what the Erod situation says about Scott Harris. Is that a reason not to throw him overboard or say, oh, this whole thing's a nightmare? I mean, I have a friend that said you have to fire him after this. No. Ridiculous. That, it's it's a bad look. It is. But, but I've seen. Does it concern you big picture? A little bit. Me yeah, too. Yeah, it, for sure. I've it's seen I've seen better executives do dumber things, but that doesn't make me feel good about about the future. You that know, does like not do good due diligence. No, I mean, you, yeah. you just hope that it's a lesson learned in that sense. Right. I mean, in terms of having a plan B, and again, I mean, all those things they all happen so quickly. But again, like that asking price was really high. You know, leading up to the deadline, and I think maybe having a plan B kind of in your back pocket, ready to go. Um, might have been a better decision. I do think that it actually has a bigger impact on just like what this means for the Tigers as a whole. I mean, you have to understand like you know, you, you essentially missed out on like three prospects essentially that could have really helped this process move yeah. forward. Like that's the thing that I think is like the biggest dagger. It's not just Eduardo Rodriguez. It's not just Scott Harris. It's like the Tigers, like the Tigers as a whole missed out on an opportunity to get a lot better into the future. Like that, that really sucks. That was malfeasance. And that's where, look, if this was a lesson learned, a mistake, fine. But man, is that a mistake? That's not a mistake I would have made. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And you know what? You know what? And even even if the Dodgers trade, like even if that wouldn't have been it and there would have been maybe a trade with the Orioles or a trade with the Reds, you know, kind of sitting there in ready, the Tigers would have got a little bit better. I agree. I mean, the the Dodgers trade would have helped them significantly. I think a trade with one of those other two teams would have made them a little bit better, but getting a little bit better in the long term is better than not getting better at all from the situation. Yeah, it would at at worst, it would have added organizational depth within the the farm yeah. system, and at best, you could have gotten some legitimate pieces back. Hundred percent, Evan. Tell me about Jeff Greenberg. Who are we getting here? 
and Jeff Greenberg as the new Tigers GM. Yeah, I mean, don't really know a ton about him other than kind of what's been out there and what I've written about. Um, seems like a smart guy. Seems like somebody that aligns with Scott Harris, which I think is important. Like, I do think it's important that if you're going to hire your number two, like, they better align with you, like, philosophically. And I think they do, just going back to their dates with the Cubs. I mean, they, they, I mean, they were, like, young guys in the industry at that point walking through those doors together um, back in, like, 2012 and, and worked together for such a long time. So, obviously, a great rapport between them. Um, you know, two guys that seemingly are willing to challenge each other. That's how they talked about it. Um, but again, like the strengths and, and how they play off of each other, to me, they kind of seem like the same person. Um, I know that they would probably disagree with that, but I think from the outside looking in, that's just how it like appears. You know, two guys that are really smart, they have, you know, these great degrees, like neither of them are like these pure baseball guys who had like cut their teeth in scouting or anything like that. Um, you know, guys that came up, you know, under Theo Epstein, under Jed Hoyer, like those are all great things, but at the same time, they kind of look like the same person in the sense of what their skills are. Um, you know, both very analytically savvy. Like those are good things. I I'm just curious, like where they really play off of each other. So that'll be interesting to find out, like as they continue to go. And I'm sure, again, I'm sure there are differences between them. I'm sure they would not agree with what I'm saying at all right now. But I'm just saying from the outside looking in, that is how it's viewed. Does it seem like a front office that can eventually put a team in the World Series? I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think why so. do you Why do you feel that way? Either of you. Yeah, I mean, I just think you got smart minds in the room like that's beneficial. I think, you know, when you have one smart guy or one not so smart guy at the top, I think things can kind of <laughs> crash and burn. But if you surround yourself with enough people, as, as long as again, as long as Jeff Greenberg is really able to challenge Scott Harris and Scott Harris is really able to challenge Jeff Greenberg and A.J. Hinch is able to challenge both of them yeah. and they're able to challenge A.J. Hinch. I think you get enough smart guys in a room like that, um, guys with passion for, you know, getting the job done for winning who want to do it right. Again, it sucks because, and, and to quote maybe Chris Illich, is it's going to take some time, and it might. Like, it might take some time. I don't think this is like an overnight fix. Like, I don't think you can just go out and get, you know, A, B, C, D free agent and plug them all in and, okay, yes, like, this is a World Series contender. Like, it's just not the case. Like, it's going to take some time. It's got to be built from the inside out. And I think they have the right guys to do it, just considering, you know, their expertise in the game and what they bring. The question is going to be, can they challenge each other? And kind of where do they play off of each other in terms of strength and weaknesses? If they have that, yes. I mean, you, you're confident, Chris. It's been yeah. going on 10 years without the playoffs. So I don't know how, yeah, patient, next year will be 10. Yeah. how patient I'm supposed to be. No, but. well, it, it, but the problem is you can't put that on Scott Harris, though. You no, know, I, that's, can, I can put it on Chris. Oh, well, yeah, you definitely can. But that's spending again, apparently. For I haven't sure. brought up his name. <laughs> no, but it's he it, said he's not going to spend again. So. Well, I mean, in this class, I don't know if it'd be a great idea. I mean, yeah, but yeah, that's why you spent on the previous ones. right. Well, no, I mean, yeah, and I think that was they're not all good classes. Th that We've was had good classes. The guy sat out. Yeah. And that was I think that was a legitimate mistake, not by not just by him, but I think also by Harris as well. I think last year's offseason, it, it could have been, you know, just get one more, <laughs> one or two more guys. Man. Well, they, I mean, last year. Yeah. I mean, they didn't sign. They didn't sign yeah. a, a major league player on the position player side to a major league deal. Like they didn't yeah. sign an actual dude like whatsoever. I think they really thought, and I, you might know more about this. I think they really believed in Nick Maton and thought mm -hmm. like that trade. Yep. And I still like that trade. I get shit on for Twitter on Twitter about that. I like you're, you're, you're a virulent guy. I, I, I think he's so, so, but I think from a value standpoint, a so, so outfielder is about the same to your team as a four ERA reliever, which is what uh, Soto is. And I think they really thought Mayton was going to be the third baseman. You're spot on. Yeah. And I mean, dude, he had an 840 OPS with the Phillies and like not the smallest sample size, like a 40 game sample size. They liked that bat. And early on in the season, it seemed like something was coming along and just. Yeah, I just the, so much inconsistency. The big part of that, too, though, was just usage, right? I mean, in the ways in which the right. Phillies were using him, 
Then the Tigers bring him in, and the, the, the ask is, be our everyday third baseman. Yeah. And they gave him such a long leash, and obviously he blew his opportunity, um, a lot of that being because he couldn't hit anything other than a fastball. <laughs> right. But at the same time, like the way that the Phillies used him, they used him in pockets where he would be successful. And yeah. I think, you know, when you bring him over and you try to make an everyday player, you got to be able to hit everything against mm-hmm. all types of pitchers to really be that that dude at the hot corner. And I think what happened to one guy impacted the other because I think the original idea may have been platoon with scope at that position. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, just scope just couldn't, it was the last two years is so yeah, bad, bad that Maton just by default was getting everyday reps at third base. And yeah, you're right. The, the uh, weaknesses were exposed very quickly. For yeah. sure. Last Tigers question. Evan, Austin Meadows, are we done with that situation? Is he gone? Do they try to rekindle the flame there and get him right what's going on with meadows well we're going to find out in mid-november i mean the tigers have been really quiet about it Mm. um austin meadows has been pretty quiet about it like i haven't seen anything from him out there about you know his plans for the future i have no idea if he plans to retire from baseball or if he thinks he's going to give it another go i have no idea Um, we're going to find out soon though once the tigers make their decision because you know mid-november it's the tender non-tender deadline where teams are gonna have to make these decisions on these arbitration eligible players tigers have a few of them Austin Meadows being one of them, it's basically, you know, pay him roughly $4 million uh, to come back or you non-tender him and he just becomes a free agent. I wonder if there's a way the Tigers could work out a minor league deal or if they could link back up with him and maybe put him on the restricted list. I don't even know if that's possible where, you know, he's not getting paid, but the door is always going to be open for him to come back, you know, within the calendar year. But again, who knows what's going to happen? We're going to find out at some point. Um, I hope he's doing well. I I hope he's doing well also. It's a really sad situation it it's it's frustrating to hear about i am bothered by the lack of communication it seems Uh, harris was open that they hadn't heard from him in months i think aj had said that um that surprises me i I think there should be you know regardless of what he's going through some sort of you know more open line there but besides that yeah i mean i'm I'm with i'm with evan i i think my guess is he would be non-tendered would, would be m- my prediction here. I think that, especially also, and I'm not saying they're all studs, the outfield depth, it's getting a little bit crowded right now. I mean, who knows what they'll do with Badu. I think that could be another potential, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, trade piece as well. Um, but, you know, you got Carey there, you got Veerling, you got Green, you got a few guys in the system, uh, and you have his brother. Par- I, I like Parker Meadows. I think Parker Meadows really came along uh, quite a bit a last year. Yeah, I think he can be something here. So uh, I think at this point, not only... Just for the 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 obvious reasons, but I think also from a performance standpoint, where would he fit even if he came back? I don't know if he'd have a spot. Chris and I have laid this out a couple of times. I'm going to use Chris's because he's a better talker than I am. Ben, throw up the Chris Castellani theory. I'm dying to know what Evan's take is on this. Did the Tampa Bay Rays know Ooh. they were trading damaged goods in Austin Meadows to Detroit for Isaac Paredes? This is Chris's abbreviated take on the matter. A lot of people that I respect have thrown around the idea that the Tampa Bay Rays knew about Austin Meadows' anxiety problem, and because of that, they shipped him just before last season started. Okay, at first, the first time I heard this, I said, nah, man, that's just, I, no, like, I, I just think that it's something that came about when he got to Detroit. The deeper this goes, the more I do believe that. From a business standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, the trading of Austin Meadows and the subsequent acquiring of Isaac Paredes and what's what's resulted from that trade is one of the most genius things I've ever seen ever by a baseball team. If you're dealing with severe anxiety or you're dealing with depression or any mental uh, illness, that's not going to show up on a physical I- exam, meaning you can ship a guy off anywhere. Uh, and I think if that's the case, uh, that might have been what the Rays did here. And I hope in the long run, we can look back on it and say that Austin Meadows 
found his footing. But uh, I, the deeper this goes, the more I think that there was there was something afoot that that they knew more than they let on because the the timeline of the trade as well was bizarre. Okay, the, I agree with everything Chris said there. The biggest argument I would say for Tampa had to have known was in one of your articles I've been talking about Austin Meadows' background, it said, and he he's quoted in your article, that he was getting help in Tampa for this issue, receiving help. I, I have a hard time believing the team had no awareness that one of their players, the guy that was in their lineup every day, was actively in treatment from multiple sources. So we know for a fact from the horse's mouth, he was receiving treatment from a multitude of providers addressing the issue. Did Tampa Bay know about this? And if they did, did they disclose to the Tigers that this was going on at the time of the trade? I have no idea. I don't know enough to be able to speak on that. I, okay. I just think that for him, and again, going back to the story, like you talked about, it, I mean, we had a long conversation about it and he had addressed that it kind of, you know, kickstarted for him, you know, during COVID and with everything going on in the world, that's when he started to kind of feel, you know, that anxiety come on. And that was, um, that was a part of that. And that's kind of when it got jumpstarted. But at the same time, like I do think about all the people out there who, are going through anxiety or going through depression and they're going through, you know, things that they're going through. And I'm sure their bosses don't know that maybe they're getting treatment. Like, I, I, I don't, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, I mean, again, if I'm in therapy, I don't think my bosses know that I'm in therapy or, you know, everybody that, you know, my wife Savannah works with, I don't think all their bosses know that they're in therapy. So, um, I understand like the point that you're making and I get the fact that this guy's in the clubhouse every day, he's in your everyday lineup, but at the same time, like sometimes things are just personal. So I have no idea if they knew or not. Um, I have no idea if he disclosed that to them or not. I have no idea if the Tigers had any indication of that. Uh, something that you know I'm always interested in, but at the same time, like it, it kind of just is what it is. Yeah, and, and even if they knew, there's no way they knew the extent of it. They, there's no way they were like, oh, we're going to trade him. He's going to play 20 games and then potentially never play baseball again. Like I think, I think there might have been some knowledge of it, but I, I think the what resulted from it is just a, the perfect storm of, circum, of sad circumstances that's led. I mean, never hit a home run here, man. Jesus. I mean, yeah. think about it, though. If Riley Green would not have been hurt, I don't think Austin Meadows is a Detroit Tiger. Correct, yeah. He broke his So, leg. like, you know, you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. So it's not like it's not like the Rays just, like, pawned him off. You know, the Tigers needed an outfield. They needed a left-handed hitting outfielder, somebody that could, you know, hold them over. Riley Green was supposed to make the opening day roster. Yeah. Austin Meadows was never in the plans until Riley Green went down with the injury. Then the Tigers had to make a move to get an outfielder and they went out and they found an impact bat and they traded away a, a player who ended up being a, a really good piece. Now, shame on the Tigers for not being able to tap into that. Yeah. But point is, like Austin Meadows wasn't like in the plans. They weren't actively looking for a left-handed hitting, you know, power outfielder who could, you know, really help anchor the middle of their order. That only happened because Riley Green wasn't able to do that to start the 2022 season. Yeah. So it's like the poverty version of V-Mart going down and we go get Prince Fielder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, you're right. Well, and, and that's that's the lead that gets buried here is is that, you know, obviously you're right. I mean, if Green doesn't get injured, they don't uh, trade for Meadows, but they don't trade Isaac Paredes if they knew what the fuck they were doing. Like if they would have developed the guy for what he is, which is a 25, 30 home run a year guy, he probably would have been the opening day third baseman last year. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I think, one of the great disappointments and further proof of the lack of ability to develop talent in the Avila era. You had this guy. This guy's a really good hitter. And when we got rid of him, I'm like, All right, he might be fine. Maybe. I mean, we, he didn't do much. Well, that's where I scratch my head because I remember a certain manager talking quite a bit about Isak Paredes, you know, needs to get to the pull side, needs to hit balls to left field. Like he just he just has to hit to the pull side. The pull side power is there. Mm -hmm. It is real. He can get to it. He just has to like it just has to happen. And go look at Isak Paredes' spray chart on the home runs. Like, 
all the pole sacks. Yeah, I don't think he's hit no, one opposite field. No. <laughs> he has a tire. Well, Wayne Henning is somewhere in Florida, like dancing, because he was saying for four years that Brady's was going to be yeah, really good. He was right. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, but again, like, I thought he was going to be good too when he came yeah. up. Like, he was yeah. highly rated as a prospect, but it does come down to development. And the fact that the Tigers weren't able to develop him to really do that or to understand how to do that. And then he goes to Tampa Bay and obviously gets his feet wet last year where he, he was a good player last year, but he was an even better player. Yeah. I think he might get MVP votes this year for how good he was. He I was really he was, good. I mean, yeah. for, for real, like he was hitting cleanup for the Rays in the postseason. Like, come on now. That's really good. I mean, he was. I mean, I don't know where he finished. I looked like a couple weeks before he was 10th or 11th among qualifiers in the whole league and the whole sport not just the american league at ops i mean he was one of the best like 15 but that's a perfect example of the developmental flaws that you know the tigers had for so long and yes i do give alavila credit for hiring ryan garko like i think that's important to note that he went out and hired him i do think aj hinch had a lot to do with that decision but at the same time like that was al's hire um but like push comes to shove you got to be able to develop those guys from start to finish and that's what i'm excited to see you know, with younger players, like again, Max Clark and, and different players that the Tigers have now brought in, Kevin McGonigal, like it sucks because it's going to be a long time, but broken development, like, come on, you can't, that, that's, that's inexcusable. I, I wish you didn't say Max Clark. I, I don't have the Wyatt Langford thing. They can compete before Max Clark is ready. That's just to make that. Very yeah, clear. I didn't buy the whole window of opportunity argument. I'm with you there, but I, I think Wyatt the, Langford is, is like the third best prospect in baseball. Yeah, that uh, that's the, yeah. Well, Max Clark's clocking in at like 34. But you know, hey, dude, Marcelo Mayer had a 600 OPS this year. So I mean, he you was, never you know he had, he had the injury. injury. Yes, <laughs> but but again, how do you feel about Jackson Job? I think right now? I think Job's going to be awesome. Like, like you, I'm, you, I'm you, legitimately you, you've seen the stuff. You've seen the numbers, Justin. I'm buying. I'm actually. I'm buying into. It. I, I legitimately think. He's and so be great. is he. Yeah. Look at his smile. <laughs> you right want now. to say you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. This is. Would I rather be right or be happy as a Tigers fan? This is the battle. Uh, no, I'd rather be happy as a Tigers yes. fan. I'm just nervous. I, the profile. I'm terrified of it. I'm just. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop with the injuries with it's these, with these guys. It, the high school draft picks are so boomer bust, yeah. uh, especially with pitchers, man. Yeah, that's and we went over the data again and again. Tony Paul is ready to throw a chair at me. I'm sorry, Tony, but the data is what it is. It's yeah. abysmal, and he he's already had an injury. It wasn't even the one that they all have. So yeah, he had a back issue. Like yeah, he had a spine thing. He's like right? 73 yeah. years old. What's mm-hmm. going on there? <laughs> he's an incredible prospect. We know spin rate and all that. Yada yada. I I still think Marcel Mayer is gonna be a and beast and I, I don't chalk up that much to his struggles when he I, I know I just it, it was funny I'm that, a mayor yeah. guy but I the Wyatt Langford thing they oh we'll, we'll see it looks no, ba- it looks bad it see. looks bad right now it looks bad right now it does we won't see for we, as good as the see. Rangers are I know they're feeling pretty good about having him yeah. come yeah. soon yeah. but again it Tiger, was there it, yeah I get it I get it he's there I get it he'd that, be in the line he'd be in the lineup in April you know I, I'm I more often than not defend Scott Harris if Langford turns out to be a stud and Max Clark is just even just good, um, yeah, that that will be a okay. What what are we doing here? Kind of Langford uh, assessment. would be in the lineup in April next year. I He's, mean, it's uh, I, I don't want to talk about it. That's, <laughs> yeah, that was such a disaster. Yeah, I wasn't happy with that. I, just okay, maybe Max Clark will be good. I why Langford's gonna hit that guy's a monster. Yeah. Okay, we're we're done with the Tigers, Evan. You can like you know bathroom break if you want. I know you hate the. The Michigan State topic. I'll sit in and listen. <laughs> you can sit. Maybe okay, Chris. Yes. <laughs> Urban Meyer situation. You're a Michigan fan. We'll get to the game in a second. We're only going to touch on both these things briefly. Your fan base, though, has mocked me, ridiculed me. They've they've you know slapped me with every sharp object they can find within reach. <laughs> uh, they are very. It, it's getting pretty mean out there in the Michigan fan streets with this Urban Meyer situation. 
obviously I've reported what I've reported. Bernie Fratto comes in, reports his side of it. Graham Couch sort of piggybacks all mm-hmm. of us. We're all kind of saying the same stuff. The donors want them. I independently got a thumbs up that Bernie Fratto's report is true. He's in East Lansing, whatever, all that stuff. Your fan base is rolling their eyes saying, oh, little Sparty, you're, you're, you're so cute. You have no shot at him. What do you make of this? You haven't commented on the Urban Meyer buzz publicly. Are Michigan State fans insane? Should they want him? Is there a chance? What do you make of it? Well, I I wanted to wait for more facts to come out before I can make. Let's like, just speculate. Yeah, yeah well, okay, I, the deeper it goes, I do think he came to East Lansing. I do think that he he it wasn't some, hey, contract's right here, go sign it type of thing. But I think there was a discussion. Uh, at some point, I th- I do not think he's going to come here. I think Michigan State has the money to pay him. I, I don't think that's a concern at this point. But I think uh, with his situation being what it is right now, I think he wants to be a guy who can come into a program right away. And he doesn't want to go through the hoops that he went through as, as a younger coach. And I think right now with Michigan State, I understand the portal is what it is. But even with you know the portal and NIL and all that stuff, it would take a minute, I feel like, for him to get this thing up to the point where it was when he was, you know, taking Florida to national championships, when he was taking Ohio State to the playoff and winning the national championship every year. So I think at the age he's at, I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen. That's, that's where, I, honest, I haven't commented on it because I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I, that's, if, if it was something now, okay, in fairness, in different circumstances. I remember saying, dude, there's no fucking way Harbaugh's coming to Michigan. Why are we doing this? Like, he's either going to stay in the NFL or not get fired or he's going to, you know, he'll end up going somewhere else. We've gone down this road before. Why are we doing this? And then he fell into their lap. Much different circumstances. I also think, and I know you've pushed back against this, I think they're given the history with Urban Meyer. It will, I don't know how huge of a backlash, but there would be a, a backlash in regards to his past, what just happened at Michigan State. I think that there would be a butting of heads. In fact, from what I've gathered, there actually is from some people within the university who might not, who wouldn't want uh, him here. Those are my thoughts on it. I, I just, I, I don't, nothing's concrete or set in stone enough for really, for me to really comment on it fully. Pretend to be me or pretend to be a Michigan State fan. Should we want him? I'd want him. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I look, I look, I Thank know. Thank you. That's and, what we're getting and, to. And I don't, I, it, this is a big, like, point of contention I have with other people is like people and I've, I've gone down this road with Michigan fans of course in an ideal world everything is upright and just and your team is not only successful but they have wonderful people running the organization or team and their coach is an upstanding citizen who goes to church every Sunday and shit. like that's not the case like I, I I understand that's what we want but there have been teams organizations and professional sports that have sold their soul for uh you know I mean Rick Pacino's going, he's going to cheat at St. John's. He'll, pro- he'll probably make the Final Four and win a national championship. But like, and I guarantee you, every St. Saint, every Saint John's fan is going to be like, cool. So, like, yeah, we'll take it. So Michigan State, just to be clear, Michigan State should raise the flag here. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what to, you make a run at him? Raise the flag. To hell with everyone. To hell with the whining and the backlash. Let's go win some games. Urban Meyer's a champion. Raise the flag. Get the flag behind the best or second best coach in the history of college football. Well, now here's I'm going to bring up a counterpoint, though. I'd love to hear it. Do you think he still has that fastball? Yes. Okay. Uh, You don't think because in terms of recruitment, do you think his brand is damaged at all from the Jacksonville stuff? No. Okay. No, I think a little bit. I I think he would do a fine job. I don't I don't think he would revered the responses I've gotten from players. I just I tweeted 
three that I was allowed to tweet. It is, other than Tabor Pepper yelling at me publicly, he is still revered. I'll tell you after the show. A current member of the team, of some note, is like, please let this be true. And is texting me unsolicited every other day saying any news because he wants to play for him. He is revered in these circles. You can sell him in a second. If you want to say any drop-off whatsoever, I mean, maybe he's older. I it's yeah, sure. Do he, I he's never coached in the NILH. I mean, he you how know. different was college football in bowling green in 02 from how it was at the end of his tenure at Ohio State? I mean, I would argue though there's some massive gaps there. This guy has always managed to figure it out, and there's no rebuild. He wins overnight. Year one, Ohio State kind of going through the mud, all these sanctions. They had all these restrictions, 12 and up. That was a talented team. But yes, I get your, I get your point. I, okay, how about Utah? 17 right. and no, 17 I, in the prior. Dude, he's the second best college football coach of all time, resume-wise. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not disputing With the it. best winning percentage other than Newt Rockney, who was playing like Radwell. Right, yes. No one's even heard of because they don't exist anymore. Right. So the only reason he's not the best, and it's a legitimate point, is because he keeps burning out and takes breaks every five years. Yeah. You know, Saban stayed in the play. He, he had a few, at least one, just kind of so-so year at Florida, too, from what I remember. Yeah, he won, I, he won eight games in his last year. Right. It was his worst year in his career. Yeah. Well, Guys coached for two decades. The low point, he won eight games. Where do I sign up for these problems? <laughs> Who can say that? That's impressive. Saban yeah. can't say that. Saban had worse years. Jim Harbaugh had a lot worse years than any. Yeah, I remember. That's Trust why, me. That's why I'm saying, like, nobody has coached two decades at, at Power five for most of it. Uh, no one has done that. And, oh, my my bottom out was eight and four. This is the guy's worst year, the year that he's sitting on a couch telling a therapist about I'll never get over the eight and four <laughs> year. Eight and four? That's that's as bad as it gets. And do you think the resources are there in East Lansing for oh, him to, for him to I know that I can report. not for him to get paid, for him to immediately have the yes. let's bring in a roster that can win 11, 12 games? You talking about the NIL thing? Or any of it, NIL, portal, any of that well, stuff, yeah. Yeah, all the above. The okay. Yes, yeah, I know that for a fact. And, I mean, facilities are overrated now because they they all have a nice facility. But it does help that they have a brand-new state-of-the-art facility that hasn't even opened yet. So that's there. That's there. They don't need the promise of that. That's already about to open. But, yeah, the money's going to be there. If all that stuff is in place, though, why have they sucked the last two years? I, I mean... Um, that's a whole other show. Uh, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I yeah, a, I mean, do you want to do the Bell Tucker? Show? No, no, that's not. No, I, mean, I don't want to go down that road. Oh, either. yeah, we could talk after about that. I mean, my audience—I've already told the, my audience all that stuff. But yeah, I, you know, that's fair. Um, part of it is uh, the co- the lack of coalescing around Mel Tucker at the end when people thought he was justifiably so not who he thought he was and people were starting to back out of a lot of that stuff and we just saw it with Steve St. Andre with the SD4L once Tucker was out the door the enthusiasm and momentum screeched to a halt there's yeah. people with a lot of money that are saying they're going to back everything they need to do up there NIL wise obviously the contract will speak for itself I mean the want is there on the Michigan State side it's just can they coalesce with that faction that doesn't want them real quickly on Saturday night then throw up the very depressing DraftKings odds. Still current as of a few hours ago anyway, 24 and a half points. Just half a point off the 2020 spread, although we know a little bit more about the respective teams than we did going into the COVID year game. My goodness. That is about as, as gross as it gets in the context of this rivalry. 
Are you even a little bit worried about Saturday as a Michigan fan? Dude, like, kind of. Like, by a little worry. By a little, but no, (laughs) it's, dude, it's trauma. I was on Sheehan's show talking about this. I'm just, now look, this is, I would say even beyond the 2016 team, like the most lackluster Michigan State product I've seen. Here's the thing. I'm very (laughs) confident Michigan will win. Yeah, but I don't want a repeat of 2016 where they go down. Hey, we went down swinging and, you know, it was basically a seven point game that D'Antonio went for two just for shits. And then, you know, Jabril Pepper, like, no, fucking cover the spread. <laughs> like, I don't make me sweat out. I don't want to be sweating in the second quarter, let alone the, like even last year's game annoyed me. Like they dominated that game. If not for Jake Moody being the well, except for last Sunday, being the greatest kicker of all time. Like that was Michigan had one touchdown. Uh, Michigan State or Michigan had two touchdowns. I must have one. One of them was gifted to him because uh, Michigan State muff, muffed a punt. It's like, I don't want that. Do what you've done this season. Do what you've done the last few games. Cover the spread. Uh, dominate the line of scrimmage. Score early. Don't take plays off. You know, don't fall for gimmicks. Um, it's not like I, I they're a substantially better team and they're one of the best teams in the country. It's probably the best Michigan team I've ever seen. But yeah, my only concern comes from just weird history. I've seen I've seen a lot of fuckery in this in this game. So, I mean, yeah, but I. I, I I obviously like their chances. Yeah, I think I'm always going to be like that, man. I really I think it's just like it, that that era. So I was like, so he, uh, Rich Rod was hired when I was in seventh grade. So like that was like a solid decade of my life where it's like things are going to go poorly. Even more than that, I mean, up until like 2020 when you know, uh, you know, state was still finding ways to win. I, it's going to be in the back of my head, but um, uh, you know, I'm I'm confident, obviously. In the, my the black uniforms aren't going to. Make you a little scared. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. Not not this particular time. The pro combats from 2011 did a little bit, but not not so much. Not so much. These Evan rolled his eyes at your skepticism. You're, of you're, course, uh, it's nonsensical, but it's it's me speaking. That's my heart talking and not my head. My head is like, yeah, we'll, we'll win. We'll cover. We'll finish. Here. Yeah. Is, is this is this the team that gets that parade down Ann Arbor Main Street? I think they're the best team in the country. It's not what I asked. They were better than TCU. That didn't help them. Is this the team that does it? There's no boogeyman, right? There shouldn't be. Who's the boogeyman? I mean, it, I still think it would be Georgia. I, I know that they're not as good as they've been the last two years, but like, I, still like I've seen, I've seen weak Georgia teams, much like weak Bama teams, like win the national championship, you know? And so I had the whole like, oh, they're down, down meaning what, 13 and one. Uh, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Brock Bowers out for the season. Honestly, that was the next point I was going to bring up. That's right. That is a because I think in terms of just overall versatility, you can make the argument he's the best player in college football. He's certainly their best um, player. Yeah, I, you're, you're I, 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 dude, I want to say yes because I because the biggest reason and Anthony and I talked about this, you know, before the season as well. This will be their best shot. I mean, there is like a, a last dance vibe to this team where it's like you're not going to be able to, you're never going to run it back with this amount of experience, this amount of talent. And look, I mean, looking at the schedule next year, the conference alignment, the conference scheduling is going to get way harder. And um, that's, you're not going to have that luxury next year like you've had it the last two years. It's their best shot. All fair. Is Harbaugh back next year? I think so, yeah. I'm there now. Yeah, I I think, I don't know how much longer, but um, I... I mean, so much of the, uh, the poor beat writers in, in Ann Arbor have to cover this oh every, every single year. The Harbaugh watch story. I, I really do think he was fully on board. And I know this. He was fully on board of taking about taking the Vikings job uh, after 2021. 
things fell through. I, I, I don't have anything, you know, concrete evidence of exactly what happened, but I do think that was a legitimate story. I don't think there was a, I, in, I, in fact, it was reported. There was not a job that reached out to him this most recent season. Um, and look, he is, he, we kind of remember him as, you know, think of him as this young, energetic coach. He's been around a long time now. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he'd want to commit to moving his family again. I think he's here to stay at Michigan until he retires. Well said, Chris. I think he it should be an NFL coach, not just because I want him out of my <laughs> But honestly, I think these NFL teams are crazy. Like, I just deal with the weirdness. When it, who has regretted hiring him? It's, but it's just, you're right, but he's just had such a bizarre arc. That's the like Who cares. He wins everywhere, but he didn't here for a long time. That's what's weird. Those first six years were at, like at best a disappointment at worst a failure. Like, dude, he yeah. he was about to get. I know COVID year turned out to be whatever, but like, dude, they couldn't snap a football. You and guys all wanted him. Gone. I, I, I mean, still like I go yeah. back and watch those highlights. I'm like, I stand by that. Like they if they yeah. would have let him go, I wouldn't have been like, oh, my God, what a serious. It mistake. was not an unfair take. No, I, and <laughs> I, rash take. I would argue if there was a elite coach available. In following, to, and I'm not talking Matt Campbell. I mean, like, and he wouldn't come to Michigan, but like an Urban Meyer equivalent, where right. it's like, if we let Harbaugh go and throw a bag at this guy, let's bring him. I still think they might have done it, but it's there was, you know, a lot of people think if the Ohio State game happens that he's gone. I mean, that's like that's from the Michigan. That's, that's like they legitimately Michigan people tell me they had like equipment managers like on the practice squad for that game. It's like, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I know that's a good point. What would have happened if they would? All right, that? so you guys both have the Tigers in the World Series next year. Very exciting. <laughs> Win in the Central. Javi yeah. Baez, comeback player of the year, <laughs> AL MVP, all that stuff. Evan, Chris, honestly, great to have you guys, especially together. I thought it was a great panel, Appreciate great balance. Know. Maybe maybe run it back like April, March, somewhere around there. I'd be see. down. Yeah. yeah I think fun. we got to do it. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Like Eve of the season, we'll have a little more clarity on what they're looking like. And Definitely. that opening day roster, love to have you back, guys. Thank you both so much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Chris Castellani, Evan Petzold. Spiro Avenue Show. We'll see you tomorrow night with Max Boltman. Double header this week. Very exciting. Red Wing Show, which I'm told I'm like the biggest pariah for not doing more. Talk to Max. He turns me down often. But we're finally dragging them in. Spiro Avenue Show. See you tomorrow night. Thanks.